Ski, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast, hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 11. We are the champions. This year's Biathlon World Championships start on February the 8th and will take place in Oberhof, Germany. So here is a World Championships special episode. We'll have some history, some reminiscences and some things to look forward to, including some bold and some not so bold predictions. First, the history. Let's travel back to the early part of 1958. Nikita Khrushchev was set to become Premier of the Soviet Union, while Fidel Castro was massing his rebels to embark on actions in Cuba. The early days of the space race had seen the Soviets move ahead of the Americans in terms of satellite technology, and in sending Laika the dog on her short but significant journey into orbit. Motorways and suspension bridges were being built across Europe, heralding the age of the car. The first Boeing 707 had taken off. Lasers were invented. Elvis was making movies and had just had his 10th number one hit in just 21 months. He would very soon be drafted into the US Army and make his way to Germany. The bridge on the River Kwai would shortly dominate this year's Academy Awards. And the first Biathlon World Championships were held in Saalfelden, Austria. It was a men-only event, women would get their own World Championships in 1984, and the two events would be integrated only in 1989. The World Championships of 1958 comprised just two events, a men's individual race over 20 kilometres, and a team title calculated by adding up the times of the races in the individual. The rules were slightly different too. There were four shoots, three in the prone position and only one in the standing. In addition, the targets were at variable distances. For the first shoot, they were at 250 metres, then 200 metres, then 150 metres, and finally, for the standing shoot, 100 metres. A missed shot meant two minutes added to your ski time. There were no penalty loops back then. Adolf Wicklund of Sweden won the men's individual race with just three misses and a total time of just over one and a half hours. Sweden won the team title as well, with two of their team finishing in the top three. My favourite competitor is probably Heinz Harting, who missed all 20 of his shots and broke a ski, finishing 27th overall, but still helping Austria to finish a commendable fifth in the team contest. It's interesting to see the sport evolving. The World Championships was literally a men's individual and a team total time until 1966, when the team event was replaced by a men's 4x20km relay. Other race formats only came into the World Championships later, the sprint in 1974, the pursuit in 1997, and the mass start in 1999, with the mixed format coming after that. You kind of think of sport as a fixed and codified thing, but it's always changing, often to make it more inclusive for more participants, or to make it more appealing to an in-person or television audience. Over the years, the World Championships have been held in most of the major European and Eastern European countries, as well as two men's events in Lake Placid in the US, a team event in Canmore in Canada, and a championships in Pyeongchang, Korea, which served as a warm-up event for the subsequent Winter Olympics. Strangely, the World Championships have only been held in France twice, both women's events in the 1980s. 
Venues have been set for the events through till 2027, including a first visit to Estonia for the World Championships. But given the continued popularity and success of French biathlon, and the amazing crowds that turn out to the race meets in Annecy-le-Grand-Bonnon, it must surely be on the agenda at some point after that. All sports have their share of controversies, and biathlon is no different. Doping has been an issue through the decades, and this is mostly related to Russian, state-sponsored doping across multiple sports, including biathlon. It's a perennial issue, though. As far back as 2008, several Russian medal winners from the World Championships tested positive for EPO, or blood doping. This included Ekaterina Ureva, who won a full set of medals in those 2008 World Championships, as well as multiple medal winner Albina Akatova and relay medalist Dmitry Yaroshenko. It's not just Russian athletes. There are cases of German, Austrian, Hungarian, Slovenian and Latvian biathletes banned for doping. But those are generally individual cases often explained by the it was in a food supplement or my coach gave it to me arguments. The industrial scale, decades long program of doping conducted by Russia is in a different league. It didn't help that for many years, both the president and the general secretary of the sports governing body, the IBU, were allegedly taking bribes, payoffs and sweetness from the Russian Federation in return for showing their support to Russian biathlon and turning a blind eye to many doping accusations. It's a sad thing when a sport is tainted in this way, and so many are, but it's also a truth that sports have to acknowledge and address. The strong and enduring sanctions against Russia, obviously added to for non-sporting reasons following their illegal invasion of Ukraine, show the strength of will of a sporting federation to say, we will not stand for this. And the IBU's efforts to clean house after the implication of top leadership in the cover-up of Russian activity should lead to much greater transparency and accountability from the sport's governing body. Let's get away from the negatives and focus on some epic things that have happened in world championships through the years. When you look back at different eras, you get a sense of which nations were dominating the sport. In the 60s, in the men's sport, it was the Soviet Union. Then, as the 70s progressed, you saw the Germans and the Finns coming more into play. Germany's Frank Ulrich won multiple medals every year from 1979 to 1983, with Frank Peter Roach, Rico Gross and Mark Kirchner in succession, giving continuity of West and East German success and then German success well into the early 2000s. The 2000s also saw the emergence of Raphael Poiret, who won three mass start World Championship golds in succession, as well as multiple medals the last time this event was held in Oberhof. After the Poiret era came the Bjorndalen years, and then the period of Martin Foucard's dominance. Foucard won 28 medals across 10 world championships, and he didn't win any in his first two attempts or in a bizarre dip later in his career. 2016 was the high point. Goals in the sprint, pursuit and individual races, silver in the mass start and gold in the mixed relay. Wow. More recently, it's been a bit less predictable. Since Foucard started to slow down and then retired, and before Johannes Tingisbo became the force that he now is, there was a lot of variety on the podium. I talked in our episode about underdogs about the amazing win by Lowell Bailey of the USA in the individual 20km race in 2017. That was followed by Arndt Pfeiffer of Germany in 2019 at the age of 31. He shot clear in an individual race for the first time in his career to take his first podium and to stand on the top step of it. I realised that I started talking about nations, Russia, Germany and so on, and quickly came to be talking about individual athletes. It's a characteristic of recent years in the men's sport that there have been these dominant individuals. 
Norwegian strength and depth only really seems to have started maybe 10-15 years ago, with the French investment coming soon after. These two nations have overtaken some of the old stalwarts, for example Germany, who had to cope with the unification of different teams and athletes, and Russia, who aren't currently permitted to compete for various reasons. The Women's World Championships over the years has been a rainbow of nations and medal winners. Magdalena Forsberg of Sweden won 12 medals over six championships in the late 90s and early noughties. Magdalena Neuner of Germany and Norway's Tora Berger had some good successes. And the much-missed Lara Dahlmeier won 15 medals in just five years. Her 2017 World Championships in Hockfilton were stunning. Gold in the individual, pursuit, mass start and the women's and mixed relays and a silver in the sprint. Bear in mind that she achieved this at the age of 24, an age by which many biathletes are only just getting to grips with the challenges of the sport. Looking at the women's results through the years, you see a lot more podium placements for athletes from countries like the Czech Republic, Slovakia and Ukraine. Perhaps it's a demonstration that the dominance of one athlete, as we've seen repeatedly in the men's event, is not the natural state of things. One of the key things that makes sport exciting is its unpredictability. I don't want to detract from the greats of the men's sport. We can admire their achievements and their careers at the same time as hoping for competitive, exciting racing that keeps even the newest fans watching till the end. Surprise results, like Marketa Davidova's win in the women's individual last year, or Susan Dunkley's silver medal for the USA in the sprint in 2017, help make the sport what it is, knowing that, at the highest level, if you shoot clear and you ski just fast enough, you can do something really spectacular. So where are we going for the World Championships? Well, Oberhof. And if you look at a map of Germany, you'll find Oberhof pretty much in the middle. It's in the Thuringian Forest mountain range, which tops out at around a thousand metres. So it's very much forests and trails rather than downhill territory. Oberhof is another of those tiny towns that packs a big punch. Only 1,600 people live in Oberhof but it caters to about 140,000 visitors a year. As with many mountain towns, it initially sprang to life with the coming of the railways in the late 1800s. It gained early popularity as a winter sports centre, hosting bobsleigh and ski jumping competitions as far back as 1906, and its first world championships in those sports in 1931. After World War II, Oberhof found itself on the eastern side of the German border and became home to a lot of the East German winter sports community. In the 60s and 70s, major redevelopment was undertaken, designed by architect Hermann Henselmann, who was key designer of many of the Soviet modernist buildings in East Berlin too. Take a look at Google Images for the Panorama Hotel in Oberhof. It's incredible, its profile looks like two ski jumps, and it's a tribute to the town's dominant sports culture. Oberhof is a regular stop on the Bathlon circuit, but it's only hosted the World Championships once before, in 2004. That year, the men's competitions were dominated by names like Raphael Poiret, Ole Einar Bjorndalen and Rico Gross, who all appeared on the podium multiple times. One name stood out amongst the women, Liv Greta Poiret. She had previously raced under her maiden name, Liv Greta Skjelbright, but had married Raphael Poiret in 2000. Their daughter, Emma, was born a year before these World Championships, demonstrating some myth-busting about mothers and sporting achievement, something I touched on in episode 8 of this podcast. Looking at the course profile of Oberhof on realbiathlon.com, you'll see that there's not much time for cruising. It's a sawtooth of a course, with a steep long climb early in the lap, then a couple of shorter climbs and descents, before a second long climb, and then a descent into the range. 
it's going to be hard work. The World Championships take place over 11 days, from the 8th to the 19th of February, and feature all disciplines as you would expect. Most of the races take place late lunchtime to early afternoon in the UK, so get your sandwiches, put your feet up and switch on your TV. I'm expecting the races to be shown live on Eurosport, but that's not always a given. So the guaranteed way to watch is on eurovisionsports.tv. If you miss the live racing, you can catch up on Eurosport or Discovery Plus if you have a subscription, or you can go to eurovisionsports.tv IBU, scroll down and look for past videos. So the schedule for, for championships is as follows. On Wednesday, the 8th of February, at 1.45pm UK time, we start with a mixed relay. Then there's a gap, and on Friday the 10th of February, 1.30, we have the Women's Sprint. Saturday the 11th of February, 1.20, we have the Men's Sprint. Then on the Sunday the 12th of February, we have a double header. We have the Women's Pursuit at 12.25, followed by the Men's Pursuit at 2.30. We have a rest day on Monday the 13th of February and then return on Tuesday the 14th, Valentine's Day, for the men's individual race at 1.30pm. Wednesday the 15th is the women's individual, also at 1.30. Then on Thursday the 16th of February we have the single mixed relay at 10 past 2. And then double headers at the weekend, so on Saturday the 18th of February we have the two relays, so the men's relay at 1045 the women's relay at two o'clock. And the final day, Sunday the 19th of February, as is customary, um, we have the mass start races. So the men's mass start will begin at 11.30 UK time and the women's mass start at 2.15. So there's a lot of racing coming up, which means a lot of predictions to do. Uh, rather than predict every single race, because there's a lot and I'll get confused, here are some safe bets and some bolder predictions for things that I think will happen over the course of the next couple of weeks. Firstly, the French women are going to have a great time. Fellow podcaster Penalty Loop wrote a great article recently about the strength and depth of the French women's team. You don't always know which of them is going to perform best, but you know that they will collectively do well. I expect to see Julia Simon on the podium at least twice, Lou Jean Monod in the top 10 more than once, one of the Chevaliers making a top 10 appearance, and the whole team taking a medal in the women's relay, probably the gold. Second prediction, an Urberg wins. Now there's a get out clause in this one because there are two Urbergs, Elvira and Hannah. Elvira has been on way better form this year. Her shooting has improved dramatically. And if she's got her speed back after recent illness, she should win the women's sprint. If that doesn't happen, look out for Hannah in one of the longer format races. She hasn't been in great form this season, but she has a history of performing best at major championships. So perhaps we'll see her winning the individual. Third prediction, a German resurgence. The German team have been improving and improving in the run-up to these championships. Denise Hermanvik should get at least one medal, perhaps two given the distribution of events across the two weeks. And watch out for Roman Rees on the men's side. He's been getting faster and more accurate and will be hoping to build on two great fourth places in Antholz. An easy one here, Norway's men will boss the relay and the pursuit. The strength and depth of the Norwegian men is phenomenal this season. It's hard to see anyone getting past them in the, in the relay. You could also expect to see them dominating the pursuit top 10 again. 
They're so accurate and consistent and fast as a group. That said, here's a bit of a wildcard prediction. Johannes Tingisbo wins and loses. I expect he'll absolutely destroy the field in the sprint. He is so fast right now that he could certainly shoot 9, possibly even 8 out of 10 and still win. That will give him a good base for the pursuit, but I expect some nerves to kick in. Other racers may build in confidence over the two weeks, and some will be targeting just one or two races rather than trying to win all of them. It's Johannes on the range that will be interesting. In previous major championships we've seen him struggle, and whilst he's been dominant in the World Cup this year, this is a different kind of stage and spotlight. That said, the bad championships for Johannes still sees him going away with four or five medals. Everything is relative. So if not Bo, then who? Well, let's christen one of them Emilian Bacalan. Yes, I expect Emilian Jacqueline to be back, mainly because he's the double defending champion in the pursuit and he won't want to give that title away without a fight. I'm also expecting a return to form for Quentin Fillon Maillet. I've been saying this all year and I'm really hoping it's true this time. Another prediction, I think we should look for a Swedish surprise from the men. Martin Ponsoloma had a great time in Antholz and all it takes is a bit of a return to shooting form and he or Seb Samuelsson could be in contention for a medal at some point. And lastly, watch out for the Italian women. Now so far these predictions have been pretty safe and broad, so let's see if we can find something bold to predict. How about this? The Norwegian women will have a tough time. There's been a drop-off in form from some of the early contenders, and so a lot of attention will be on Marta Olsbu Roisland who may or may not be ready yet for such an intense period of competition. You can still expect Norway's women to medal in the relays and perhaps to get the odd podium, but here's my bold prediction. There will be no gold medals for Norwegian women in solo races. How about this for another bold prediction? Anna Maria Lampic of Slovenia reaches the podium in the women's sprint. She's had two fifth places so far this season. I think she shot eight out of 10 both times. One more hit on the range and she absolutely has the ski speed to medal. So maybe Lampich for bronze in the sprint. I don't yet think she has the shooting expertise for the longer races, but the sprint could be a lot of fun. Next bold prediction, uh, medals for the Czech Republic and for Switzerland. I'm probably running out of medals to give out by now, but I'd love to see Marketa Davidova or Michael Kritschmar getting a medal or a top five. Both have had great seasons so far, and the Czech team seems to be growing in confidence and enjoying the ride. Switzerland's best chances come in the longer races. They are so good at shooting right now, with Amy Berserger and Nicholas Hartweg being the obvious choices. They'll also be very competitive across the relays, so watch out. Finally, someone unexpected will achieve something great. I guess that's the nature of a bold prediction, but maybe let's stick with our small nations who we've come to know and love this season and chase a top five for Moldova, perhaps in the single mixed relay, a top five for one of the Finns, or a top 10 for one of the Canadians. Greatness is relative, and other biathlon analysts and commentators are fantastic at identifying people who achieve their personal bests. If you're watching any of the racing, look for those nations that you didn't expect to see. Brazil, Argentina, Spain, Australia, New Zealand, and cheer them on too. Imagine how hard it is to gain traction in a minor winter sport in one of those nations and celebrate alongside those athletes that have made it to a world stage. One last thing. 
If you've been following my Race for Day ramblings on Twitter, you'll know that I have a fondness for the mascots that show up at the start and end of each race. Somewhere inside a polyester animal suit is a kid doing their best to stay warm and not think too much about who wore it before. Anyway, the Oberhof mascot is called Flocky and is a snowman or snowwoman. The Oberhof Town website says a snowman, but a video on the IBU website shows that Flocker was previously played by a woman, so who knows. Anyway, a brief history of mascots. The word comes from French and it means a lucky charm or amulet. It used to be used for things like figureheads on ships or for small amulets, but it gradually became associated with animals too. Initially, sporting mascots were live animals. This is still the case in some sports, particularly for creatures like birds of prey. In other spheres of life, live animals are still used. Military regimental mascots tend to be animals rather than puppets for fairly obvious reasons. The move to costumes came in part because of the emergence of modern puppeteering through things like the Muppets, which demonstrated how you could create characters with whom sporting audiences could interact and with a bit less risk to the crowd than bringing a lion or tiger into a stadium. You'll be pleased to know that there is a mascot hall of fame in Whiting, Indiana in the US. Each year, a new mascot is inducted into the Hall of Fame in recognition of their contribution to sports. Perhaps the one we're all waiting for and the most famous mascot of recent years is Gritty, mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers ice hockey team, a seven-foot-tall, orange, furry creature, who was originally seen as too weird and scary for a family audience, but who has won his place in sporting hearts. Gritty now has 394,000 followers on Twitter. So best of luck to Flocker at Oberhof during the World Championships. The Rupolding Foxes and the Antholds Chicken, Turkey, have set a very high standard this year, but we're sure you're up to the task. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. Please do follow us on Twitter at skishootrepeat, and do get in touch to tell me what you like, what you dislike, what's right and what's wrong. I do expect to get fact-checked on, on the things that I say or pointed in the direction of other stories from Biathlon's history that you find fascinating. I'll be back in a couple of weeks to review the racing in Oberhof and look ahead to the remainder of the season. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle. <laughs>